You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. There is science and then there is falsely called science. Please don't miss the brilliance of this diagnosis. The reason there are battles and wars on the outside between people is that there are pleasures battling and warring on the inside. Gotta have it. I gotta have it. Inside human beings, there is an incredible longing for something. What is it you're longing for? Have you ever really sat down and thought about that? I long for Jesus. Really? Do you? It's like a craving for chocolate that you just can't resist. You have to have it right now. And if you don't, you'll just go crazy. But as soon as you get a hold of that chocolate and devour it faster than you could imagine, you find yourself still feeling empty and wanting more. This is the type of feeling that Pastor Tom is expressing today as he teaches on a desire inside of you that can't be satisfied by the things of this world. There's something within you that wants more, but you need to look to God. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 4 as he continues his message, The Cure for Worldliness. Pleasures. It's a word which refers to bodily appetites and gratifications. We get our word actually hedonism from it. It's a hedone, sensual pleasures. What's a hedonist? A hedonist who says life is about what I like and what I want and what I desire. Whatever feels good, do it. That's what hedonist is. It's a playboy philosophy of life. Does that sound kind of like our world? You ever gone through commercials and asked yourself, just kind of count them, check them off. How many of these commercials are appealing to my hedonistic tendencies? Because it's like, it's like 80% of them are sons. It's a lot of them. Many of them are not, you know, being reasonable. They're just like, you're going to like this. This is going to feel good. You're going to enjoy this. It's all about that. Wine, women, and song. It's a commitment to the sensual party life. Are some of your friends like that? Are they committed to the sensual party life? That's because they have this philosophy. I think, though, James, given the context and the other words around it, he's probably using the term a little more broadly here, and not just physical pleasures, but any strong desire on the inside that we have. Lust for power, it could include. Lust for prestige. Lust for recognition. In the context, it lightly points still to some wanting to elevate themselves. Earlier he said, let not many of you become teachers as you will incur a stricter judgment. He asked who among you is wise. And so there are people maybe wanting so bad to be recognized and so bad to be considered wise. And that's a, that's a strong urge and desire inside of them as well. And he may be addressing that as well. Where do these pleasures reside? Where do they come from? And his answer is in your members. He's not talking about the members of the body of Christ here. He's talking about yourself, your being individually, your members, your body parts. That's how he used it already in chapter 3 when he used the term. He's referring to the members of your body like the tongue. I think that 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 is an instructive cross-reference. Sometimes when you're trying to get the meaning of a text, it's good to do a little cross-reference, and you can, you can find some that are very similar to this. There in 1 Peter 2, 11, Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, that is, aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Those lusts inside of you that come from your your flesh, that fallen flesh, that fallen humanity that's in you, they're waging war against literally your life, your soul. They are antagonists. They reside in your flesh and they launch a war, and it's a war against your soul, a war against the prosperity and the joy of your soul. 
I like Dr. Tasker's comments here. He says, human nature is indeed in the grip of an overwhelming army of occupation. Its natural aim is pleasure. And when we consider the amount of time, energy, money, interest, and enthusiasm that men and women given to the satisfaction of this aim, we can appreciate the accuracy of James's diagnosis. I wonder, those of you who have had some background in psychology, if you realize that the Bible gives a more penetrating and accurate diagnosis of what human problems really are. I wonder if you give the Bible that kind of credit, that it was way ahead of the so-called sciences of today. Psychology literally means the study of the soul. Does not the Bible do that? You will understand human motivation and human actions much better if you study your Bible than you study Freud, Skinner, cognitive therapy, or any of the others. Man is a creature created by God. If you don't get that, you don't understand humanity at all. Your anthropology is already deficient. Man is a creature, but now he's a creature at odds with his creator. That relationship of being at odds with his creator and what that has done to damage each individual human being, that has to be understood and appreciated before a diagnosis of what people's problems and behaviors and thought patterns are. If you miss that, you miss the whole thing. And a lot of psychology starts with with ruling that out from the beginning. They start in the dark and they end in the dark. Man was made to be a worshiping creature. That's what's in his heart. He's created to worship one greater than himself, but he's so perverted now, he's turned that worship into other things, worship of pleasure, worship of money, worship of the fame that he wants from other people, from being elevated in the eyes of other people, worship of himself. That's where he is. And you know, the thing about those kinds of worship is it's so frustrating to worship yourself. It's so frustrating to worship other people, to worship pleasure. You know why that's so frustrating? Because it never satisfies. You never grab what it is you want to grab. You go after it. It's right there and you grab at it. You find that it, it was air. It was empty. It didn't satisfy. And so it has built into its own punishment. When you go after that, when you live for your pleasures, you only get more frustration. And so then you keep lusting even more because now you feel even emptier. And it becomes an addiction. That's how one gets addicted. You can get addicted to anything you desire strongly enough. Not to view man primarily as religious is not to understand man at all. And not to be qualified to give a proper diagnosis of his soul. This explains true humanity. Look at it. It's ugly, but it's true. Not those other theories. Passing on false science. By the way, if it was science, why do they all disagree with each other? You know? Think about that for a minute. Why is there 25,000 different therapies? And they're all scientific theories. Really, then why do they disagree with each other? If it's such such settled science, why don't they agree? We all agree on gravity, right? (laughs) I'd call that science. There is science and then there is falsely called science. Please don't miss the brilliance of this diagnosis. The reason there are battles and wars on the outside between people is that there are pleasures battling and warring on the inside. Gotta have it. I gotta have it. Inside human beings, there is an incredible longing for something. What is it you're longing for? Have you ever really sat down and thought about that? I long for Jesus. Really? Do you? See, sometimes we think like, well, you know, I'm not longing for money. Well, but maybe you're longing for the things that money buys. 
So you have to get into this a little bit and be honest, right? I just want peace and quiet. Yeah, you just want peace and quiet. You can really long for just having peace and quiet. I was in my backyard longing for peace and quiet, and my neighbor got upset at me, and it ruined my peace. I didn't like it. You want peace and quiet, like the testimony for parenting, you know, shoo the kids away. Stay away for 12 hours a day. Leave me alone. It's not good parenting, is it? What happens is we, we have things that we want. This is what I want. And you think it, you daydream about it. Oh, man, you have a plan. This is what would be great. Wouldn't this be great? And then someone gets in your way while you're trying to get what you want to get. You didn't have any intention in battling with them, but they're in your way. So now you have a problem with them. So the, the, the desire on the inside now becomes, I have a problem with you. That was my parking space. I had my signal on. I had to wait because Granny walked in front of me, and she took three minutes to get there. That was mine. And you're angry. You're upset. I mean, that was already your spot. Now it's closer, it's raining out, you can get in the target better that way. It becomes a conflict with other people because it's such a strong desire on the inside. The inner desire is so strong, it has to be vented. If it can't be vented, it'll be vented through fighting. Conflict within results in conflict without. This is brilliant. It's simple, but it's brilliant. You know, we have that saying that says, that person's making me angry. No, they're not. Your pleasures unfulfilled are making you angry. Again, it could be as simple as, I just want people to leave me alone. I just wish I could get a good night's sleep. You know, I used to get so bothered, wake up in the middle of the night, I thought, now I'm up at two, I'm up at three, my whole next day is shot. All these plans, I want to get things done. Shot, it's gone. And now I've learned to embrace it. I get up, I, I go blogging. I start blogging and writing on that. I tried to change it. I had so many steroids with all the chemotherapy. It was waking me up. So I was like, you know what? I just got to give in here. I got to find something to, good to do with. I got to roll with the sovereignty of God here. And you know what? I was much more at peace, and I had some great times. I'm there blogging sometimes a couple hours, and then I get tired to go back to bed. The source of the conflict is not other people. It's not a lack of money. Well, you know why people are rioting in the streets, don't you? Just because they're poor. No. There are a lot of poor people that don't riot in the streets. Well, they're stealing because they were brought up in poverty. No. One of our leaders has been saying that, you know, global warming is causing all of the angry refugees. No, it's not. It may cause some poverty, but it doesn't cause the angry refugees. It's in the heart. This is simple. This, this can go a long way. This explains an awful lot here. If you believe it, if you understand it, the problem is not in your upbringing. Yeah, but you don't know my parents. Yeah, but I could find other parents that are as bad or worse, and I could find a believer that has come to grips with the sovereignty of God, has forgiven parents, and is moving on with the love. And then what are you going to say? I know what you're going to say. Well, it was different. <laughs> no temptation has overtaken you, but such as it is. Oh, man, we already know it. We already know it. These inner cravings throw us into conflict with other people. They get in the way. You ever seen someone on the highway risking everyone's life in all the cars around there just to get up there and get past, get there five minutes sooner? And so everyone now has to wonder whether or not their life is about to end because of that idiot. God forbid that idiot is you. Because one day you're going to drive and be like, so that's the car. That's the car. All is good when the stores are filled. I mean, we're in America. We never get angry at each other. We go to the store, it has what we want. Doesn't have what we want, we'll order it. But what if it was the last one? And it's the day before Christmas. You've seen the movie plot with that, right? 
People go crazy. That's not so far-fetched. People have pleasures. They have desires. What's the lottery up to now, do you know? You shouldn't know. You shouldn't know. Forget about it. Some guy's bought 500 tickets, and he's going to be cussing. He's going to be angry. He's going to kick his dog. He's going to blame his wife. He's going to have conflict. Some lust for a dainty vacation house. Some for that stylish dress in the store window. Some for sexual fulfillment. Some for their dinner meal. There's a lot of them. If you're going to make headway against worldliness, you have to start with confession and responsibility and faith before God that He can change people like you. He's in the business of changing people like you. He did it before you were born. He found some people that were like you. He changed them. There's saints all the way through church history. You don't think that they were any different than you or me, right? He's in the business of changing people. Some people had your terrible personality. Some people were hard to get along with like you. Some people had the same way of thinking that you had. God changed them. God worked on them. God changed them. You can, you can have that happen to you. You have to believe that. You're not unique. 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth's not in us. You know, the lost, the unsaved, the unregenerate, they're absolutely controlled by their pleasures. You and I are not. They're totally controlled by their pleasures, whatever they may be. But they think they're free. That's the crazy thing about it. They think they're free. They look at us and say, you're shackled with all that religion. Oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. Our religion is wings. They're shackled. They just don't get it. Second Peter chapter 2, speaking out arrogant words of vanity, vanity, they entice by fleshly desire, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. What an ironic statement, promising other people freedom while they're chained to the wall with their lust. Then it goes on, for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. They love their sexual immorality. They love their homosexuality and press for it. But it only brings them disease, depression, destruction, divorce. They know the right thing to do in many cases, but they don't want it. They don't do it. It's even a war with inside of them. Now, James wants to make sure that we understand what he means, so next he extrapolates and he illustrates it there in verse 2. We're only verse 2. How this lusting for pleasure works. Look at verse 2. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Let's stop there. James is illustrating this with two parallel statements. By the way, the punctuation in the Greek is rather difficult here in this verse, so some of your English translations will, will be different than what I just read, but I think the NASB has it to smooth this and bringing out the parallel to these two statements. The first statement is, you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. Lust is the strong desire. Here it's referring to a, a wrong and evil kind of a desire. Lusting is coordinated with the pleasures in our body. Members, back in verse 1, and here James says, you lust for it, but you don't have it. They're lusting, they're wanting, they're going after it, they're pursuing it, but they keep grasping at it, and they just never quite get it. I think that's very instructive. It shows that in most cases, people who are lusting after worldly things never get it. They never even get it. 
So often we're sitting there saying, I shouldn't, I shouldn't lust, I shouldn't lust. Have you ever told yourself that even if you do lust, you're not going to get it? What did 1 John 2, 17 say? The lusts are passing away. The world is passing away and also it's lusts. It's going away. People don't get what they want. And even if they get it for a moment, they don't get it for that long. Then they have to worry about keeping it. And that's hard. Once in a while, people get everything they want. There's, you hear the story, this guy's rich. He wins the lottery. He has everything he wants, the home, the car, the women, the lifestyle, the retirement, the travel. And you wait a couple of years and you read about the same guy, he's bored to death. You know, money really can't buy happiness. It can't. You'll have to find happiness some other way. You find more happiness giving the money to people who are hurting. Much more happiness that way. He'd be so happy with himself. He'd be happy with God. There'd be joy in giving and giving and giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? Money can't buy you love. Money can't buy happiness. And they get the beautiful girl. You know, in high school, they're lusting after, I gotta get that girl. To get the girl, to find out, marry the girl, and the girl's selfish. And every, every other guy wants the same girl. And now she's looking around at the other guys, and the guys are looking at her. And what kind of a marriage is that? Ends up not being quite what you thought it was going to be, right? Or girls, you'll have to reverse that for the guy, you know? And he's inconsiderate, you know? He throws stuff on the ground all the time. You know, he's, he doesn't think about you at all. But there he is, you know? Great-looking guy. That's all you were looking at. That's what you got, you see? The great car, you get the great car. Finally, I got the great car. That's been something I've had to work on. You know, i got midlife crisis. i got to get that car. i got to get me that car. I know, I know. First, second, third time I take that out, someone's going to ding the door. I just know it. <laughs> Waited 55 years, and look at that, Lord. It'll be a sermon in and of itself right there at that spot. It will. You get what you want. Does it satisfy? It's so frustrating to try to keep things new and nice. Stock market's going down. You're going to invest in gold? What are you going to do with the gold? Where are you going to hide it? The backyard? Dig a hole? <laughs> it's going to be hard. Most of the time, though, you don't even get what you're lusting for. That's the exception. You only wish. You only keep dreaming. And your thoughts start to consume you. And then they start to become the entire way you think about life. It becomes overwhelming in your thought process. Burning desire, but you just keep coming up empty-handed, and life becomes so disappointing. And you have to live without. And you start to become sour and bitter and withdrawn and professional. And life's just not working out the way I wish it would work out. The consequences for lusting and not getting can be devastating. It can get so bad. Look what follows. It's shocking. He says, so you commit what? Murder. That's how you have to say that word. You can't say murder. You have to say murder because it's an angry word. By the way, interpreters have a very hard time believing that James is referring to literal murder here. For if murder was really going on in the churches, whew, you would think, A, that James would have brought this subject up a little earlier in his letter. <laughs> B, wouldn't this prove that there were some in the church who were completely unregenerate? Yes, we already knew that. C, wouldn't these people be arrested and not be part of the church anymore? So many interpret this murder as figurative murder, like Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, the Sermon on the Mount, again, that James might be thinking about, where he says, when you have hatred in your heart for your brother, you've already murdered him, right? Or John uses it in 1 John. He says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. However, really, honestly, the easiest way to interpret this, and you always go with the most probable interpretation in the context, although I don't rule out a figurative understanding as well, but I think the easiest way here is that at least in some of the conflicts, at least in some of the churches, it got so bad, somebody killed somebody else. 
Now, that would make a headline today, wouldn't it? How's that so? Well, some of the, this is just speculation, some of the converts from Judaism into the Messianic movement, into the way, into Christianity to come out of the Zealot movement. One of Jesus' 12 disciples was Simon the what? The Zealot, right? And what did they do? They killed people. They solved their problems with violence. Maybe some of them like that were in the church now in Judea or the greater dispersed area, and maybe some of them haven't got all the sanctification they should have, and one of them killed another. I don't know. At the very least, James is warning that this is where a conflict will eventually lead if it is not controlled, right? Hatred, unchecked, produces violence, and that can lead to murder. And by the way, you and I are not immune from the possibility of murdering somebody else. How can you say that, Pastor? Because King David was a man after God's own heart, and he made sure that Uriah the husband of the wife he coveted and wanted so badly because of her beauty, he made sure that that fella, faithful soldier as he was, went to the front of the lines and was killed. It's the equivalent of murder. He loved himself so much. I'm the king, my palace, I want that woman. Must have been a very beautiful woman. We know today that pulling the trigger only comes after intense hatred. The problem, by the way, is not with the gun, unless it goes off by itself. The problem wasn't with the sword in Jesus' day. Many of them carried swords. The problem was with the heart and the hatred of the person that was using it. Murderous desires lead to murder. So James is right in warning about this great evil of murder. I think this is an appropriate place, and I'll end with this, to remind us that abortion is murder. Abortion is murder. Little babies in the womb, and we have some of them in the womb here, right, in the congregation, do we not? And praise God for loving and caring mommies, you know? But little babies in the womb are real human beings. They're not half human beings. They're real human beings. So says biology. So says common sense. So says the Scriptures. Taking the life of a baby in the womb for the sake of maintaining one's pleasures is not a woman's right. It is murder, murder against the most vulnerable and weak members of society who have no voice to speak for them at all. In ancient Rome and Greece, infanticide was a very common practice. It was even defended by the Romans and the Greeks as a way to keep their civilization strong. It was considered good and moral that if a father did not want a child after it was born, leave it out and expose it or take it down to the water and drown it. And most of the victims were little baby girls because dad wanted a son. Christians, as they spread through the Roman Empire, spoke strongly against infanticide, but they had no political power in Rome. They called it murder, and they were right. The pagan religions practiced it, but Christians would not. Eventually, when Constantine came to power, he began to change things. He opened up the treasuries of the palace to care for unwanted children. Sometime after his reign, infanticide was completely abolished from the Roman Empire because of the influence of Christianity. Beloved, abortion is infanticide in the womb. And whereas the ancients drowned their babies or abandoned them out to exposure, abortion is worse for it often is a violent destruction of a poor, innocent life. Abortion should be outlawed. And the heart that leads to wanting to have an abortion so they can keep in many cases, not in all cases, a sinful lifestyle, that is worldliness. 
and that is murderous. And God forbid that we would turn our hearts to murder in any of the forms that we might think, that we would check our hearts. We're going to continue on, God willing. We're going to keep looking at this passage and the diagnosis and the cure and all of that. It's a very powerful passage. Pastor Tom made an excellent point today about how any person is susceptible to going down the path of being led by lust and it leading to murder. Even though David had a heart after God, he fell into the trap of lust that led to killing one of his best soldiers. Do you think that desire was worth all the heartache and loss that came about? David had to learn the hard way that his passing desire caused much loss of life. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leek, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Whenever there's a sickness, you want to find a cure or get rid of the disease, right? Sometimes there's some medicine that's needed to help you heal. As Pastor Tom continues in this topic of worldliness and how to remove it from your life, you'll get some good insight about what the remedy should be. So be thinking about where your heart is and all these things and what areas are in need of some surgery and mending. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Discover Hope. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hopebiblechurch.org. And be sure to join us again right here on Discover Hope.